Shanatova. And welcome. My name is Alan Grenitz. On behalf of your board, I'm deeply honored to address you on this important day. It is truly a privilege for me to serve this historic institution and its members. I have followed Donnie Friend in this role, who led our congregation for four years with heartfelt passion and incredible vision and leadership. Donnie is such a gift to our community. These High Holy Days mark the 171st time that our community has celebrated these sacred days together. From the first temple building located on Broadway to Sutter Street and now here at Lake and Arguello, our congregation has grown quite a bit from the handful of families that came together to practice Reform Judaism. This magnificent sanctuary and courtyard were completed in 1926 with a temple building completed the following year thanks to the foresight and tzedakah demonstrated by the 250 or so families that contributed to its construction. Today, this same facility supports over 2,000 families. For the last few years, you've heard about our plans to update our building. Although our sanctuary remains breathtakingly beautiful, as you can see, the remainder of our complex needs renovations so that it can serve our congregation for future generations. It has now come, the time has now come for our community as set forth in painstaking detail in the Torah to build the temple. In our case, we'll be renovating and rebuilding, but the sacred nature of the task is unquestionable. It is now our time to step up. There's a story in the Talmud where a man named Honi sees a much older man who is laboring in the hot sun to plant trees. Honi asks the man why he was working so hard since the trees will not bear fruit or be large enough to provide shade until the man is dead and gone. Man's answer was very simple. His forefathers planted trees that have provided him cool shade and fruit to eat, and as such, it is his obligation to plant trees for those that follow him. This is a simple story that for me demonstrates our sacred obligation to pay it forward. I stand under the shade of this dome and experience the fruit that this community has given to me and my family. And how can I not think about those who built this for us? A small but dedicated group of members and staff guided by your board have been working diligently for the past few years together with a first class team of professionals to develop and support a plan to renovate this complex. And it is with great pride that it's fallen on me to bring this plan forward to the congregation. This improvement project, or Emmanuel Next, will renovate, expand, and update our facility so that it can better serve us, our children, and future generations. Emmanuel Next will create more usable space within the confines of our existing footprint and maintain respect for the preservation of the historic nature of our structure. Our plan has been anchored by commitment to a few guiding principles. We intend to create sacred space that is safer and more secure that will make people feel warm and welcome when they enter to create space to support more intimate gatherings and also to improve the space we have for joyous celebrations. We intend to build out state-of-the-art education space to teach our children the love of our traditions so that they can pass that love onto their children. And to ensure financial accessibility with a large addition to our endowment as an integral part of the a component of the project. The renovated building will include many green features, using, use sustainable materials, and be a lot more energy efficient. 
With regard to security, our Emanuel Next plans will make the building more secure. However, in light of the disturbing events that have taken place across the country in recent months, we are implementing the most significant security strengthening in a decade. Please know that security here remains and will always be job one. I don't intend to get into the details of the Emanuel Next project in these high holy days, although I'm excited to announce that on Monday evening, October 28th, the full scope and details of the Emanuel Next project will be shared at a town hall style meeting here at the temple and all are encouraged to attend. An enormous and heartfelt thanks to Donnie Friend and Doug Goldman who have agreed to serve our community as co-chairs of the Emanuel Next campaign. During the initial phase of the campaign, we've been able to secure commitments already totaling more than 64% of our goal. Your board and a small group of generous donors have made extraordinary gifts that will now serve as a solid foundation for the campaign. We've launched this project, it is real, and we are off to a great start. Yet we can't do this without you. We need to build this together. I'd like to share with you some recent correspondence from two members whose permission I have received. They wrote, Alan, we are simply doing our part to honor those who came before us and to pay it forward to those who will follow us. Thank you for affording us the, an opportunity to do right by others. The door of the door, it is really just as simple as that. The institution of our temple has meant the world to us and the actual building itself has always brought us much joy and pride. We hope that pride will be experienced by the next generation and the generations after them so that not only our congregation, but the community of San Francisco will feel pride in a building that stands for so many things to so many people. Thank you all for the work you are doing to ensure our congregation will live beyond our times. As president of this congregation, I am so inspired by the spirit and culture of generosity that I found in our community. Rebuilding this temple together will demonstrate the true meaning of tzedakah. Reform Judaism as manifested at Emmanuel from, the, from its start in 1849 represented taking the lead and embracing change by seeking to redefine the traditional Jewish experience. We have never wavered from our commitment to remain out in front of the curve and now is the time to continue in that great tradition. This project is Emmanuel next because that is our essence. We have always looked to the future and made bold choices to, in, to inspire Jews that come next. To renovate and rebuild our facility to serve our community for the next century is to demonstrate our commitment to lead and continue to, per, to pursue and embrace change as the inevitable reality of a vibrant culture and a healthy society. Please plan to attend the town hall on October 28th to learn more about Emmanuel Next and to begin the process of understanding how you can participate. I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the dedicated leadership and guidance that is provided by the 22 members of the board with a special shout out to their spouses, partners, and family members. I'd like to thank my wife, Susie, for support and understanding without which I could not enjoy the honor to serve. I would also like to remember my father who taught me just about everything I know about being Jewish and showed me how to give back to our community simply by doing the work. My father never told me or my sisters or anyone else for that matter how to be a righteous member of the community. He just did it. What I learned from my father has inspired me and resulted in the joy I experience as a member of this sacred community. 
In closing, I would like to shine a spotlight on the absolutely world-class clergy and management team that we have in place at Emmanuel. We are all fortunate to have the opportunity week in and week out to be inspired, guided, educated, and or comforted by our fabulous clergy. Your management team is as strong as they come with the entire staff dedicated to making our congregation a better experience for our members. The first words I spoke to you today were Shana Tova, which is commonly translated as a wish for a happy new year. The source of the word happy is the Icelandic word hap, which means luck or chance, the same source of the words haphazard or happenstance. The Hebrew words for happiness do not connote amusement or fun, but rather have a deeper meaning, more like well-being. Happiness in Hebrew means that a person is living a righteous life, and as a result, the person flourishes. Judaism recognizes that cultivating virtue and good character in a person are what is necessary for human well-being and thus happiness. It is in that context that I once again wish all of you a deeply heartfelt Shana Tova. And we thank Alan for being our president and doing this holy work with all of his heart and soul. Yeshur Koach. We come now to the service that introduces Torah, where we stand in front of the ark in just a moment, and we say these words, Avinu Malkenu, God as parent for a moment, help guide us as our parents did. We're on page 223. Please rise. Avinu Malkenu Shma Kolenu. Avinu Malkenu, Almighty and Merciful, hear our voice. Avinu Malkenu Chatanu Lefanecha. Avinu Malkenu, we've strayed and sinned before you. Avinu Malkenu Hamol Alenu Vaal Olalenu Vatapenu. Avinu Malkenu, have compassion on us and on our families. Avinu Malkenu Kale Dever Vechere Vera'av Malenu. Avinu Malkenu, halt the onslaught of sickness, violence, and hunger. Avinu Malkenu, kalei kod sar umastin me'alenu. Avinu Malkenu, halt the reign of those who cause pain and terror. Avinu Malkenu, kodvenu besefer chayim tovim. Avinu Malkenu, enter our names in the book of lives well lived. Together, Avinu Malkenu, chadesh alenu shana tova. Avinu Malkenu, renew for us a year of goodness. Avinu Malkenu, choninu va'anenu, ki ein banu ma'asim, ase imanu tzedaka v'chesed, v'hoshienu. Avinu Malkenu, almighty and merciful, answer us with grace, for our deeds are wanting, save us with acts of justice and love. Avinu Markenu Shema Koleinu Avinu Markenu Chatanu Lefanecha Avinu Markenu Hamal Aleinu Ve'yalol Aleinu Ve'tapenu 
Our Torah carriers come up to the upper Vima. We turn to page 228. gracious, endlessly patient, loving and true, showing mercy to thousands, generation, forgiving evil, defiance, and wrongdoing, granting pardon. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Oh, <laughs> 
As we get ready for the reading of the Akedah, I invite the Levites to come forward for the honor of the Aliyah to come join us up here on the upper Bima. And you can find the Torah reading on page 240 in your um, Maxorim. And we hear these words the binding of Isaac. And one thing I want to think about for a moment is who is being tested here? Is it God? Is it Abraham or is it Isaac? Because they all walk differently. So talk to your partner for a second. Turn and talk to the person next to you and ask that, answer that question to each other. Let's take a moment and talk for a second. Who's being tested? Yeah, there. Up here. Maribel, up here. Come on up. Baruch Adonai Hamvarach Leolam Vayed. Baruch Ato Adonai Hamvarach Leolam Vayed. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bahar Banu Mikol Hanamin Betanahu Amen. Vayomer elav, Avraham, Vayomer hineini, Vayomer kachna. Et pinchat yichitcha, sharahavta et yitzchak, Velech lecha el eretz hamorya, Vaalehu sham leolah, Allah had Harim, 
אשר אומר אליך וישכם אברהם בבוקר ויחבוש את חמרו ויקח את שני נעריו איתו ואת יצחק בנו ויבקה עצי עולה ויקום וילך אל המקום אשר מלוא האלוהים ביום השלישי ויישא אברהם את עיניו ויראה את המקום מרחוק. אל בני הרב, שיבו לכם פה עם החמור, ואני והנער נלכה עד כה, ונשתחווה, ונשובה עליכם, ויקח אברהם את עצי העולה, וישם על יצחק בנו. ויקח בידו את האש ואת המאכלת, וילכו שניהם יחדיו. ויאמר יצחק אל אברהם ואת אביו, ואת אביו, ויאמר אבי, ויאמר הנני ואני, ויאמר הנה האש והעצים ויהיהשא לעולה. ויאמר אברהם אלוהים יראה לו הזה לעולה בני ילכו שניהם יחדיו. ויבואו אל המקום אשר אמר לו האלוהים ויבן שם אברהם את המזבח ויערוך את העצים ויעקוד את יצחק בנו וישם אותו על המזבח ממעל לעצים. וישלח אברהם את ידו ויקח את המאכלת לשחוט את בנו. ויקרא אליו מלאך אדוני מן השמיים ויאמר אברהם אברהם ויאמר הנני ברוך אתה אדוני 
We take a moment to think of those who lie in beds of illness, those who could use a bracha, a blessing of healing, uh, knowing that they're, you're praying for them. Maybe that will bring comfort and support to them as well as to their caretakers. So to point the yacht in your direction, if you want to call it someone's name, please do so. So we pray, Amen. May that presence we call God give support to those who are in need of healing. Give them support of their body and of their spirit. Uh, and support those as well who are their caretakers. May they be guided to a rifuash lema to a complete recovery. And again, let us say, Amen. Amen. On page 272, in a sense, this is the Mishaberach for our country. And I felt it important at this time that we all read this together as a congregation. God of holiness, we hear your message. Justice, justice, you shall pursue. God of freedom, we hear your charge. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. Inspire us through your teachings and commandments to love and uphold our precious democracy. Let every citizen take responsibility for the rights and freedoms we cherish. Let each of us be an advocate for justice, an activist for liberty, a defender of dignity, and let us champion the values that make our nation a haven for the persecuted, a beacon of hope among the nations. May our actions reflect compassion for all people within our borders and abroad. May our leaders and officials embody the vision of our founders to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. We pray for courage and conscience as we aim to support our country's highest values and aspiration. The hard-won rights that define us as a people, the responsibilities that they entail. We pray for all who serve our country with selfless devotion, in peace and in war, from fields of battle to clinics and classrooms, from government to the grassroots, all whose noble deeds and sacrifice benefit our nation and our world. 
we are grateful for the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that our founders ascribe to you, our creator. We pray for their wisdom and moral strength that we may be guardians of these rights for ourselves and forever. Amen. Amen. Yamdu Hamagbia, William Fleischacker, Laglila Ella Fleischacker, come up for the lifting of the Torah. Please rise. Jill Einstein, our board member who is going to read the Haftorah this morning. It can be found beginning with the blessing on page 247. And this is the story of Hannah and the book of Samuel. Just to notice as you hear the words from Jill after the blessing, that this is really a model of how personal prayer is meant to work. It's one of the first and deepest personal prayers in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible. And I think of it lately because when I grew up, we always said, we now continue with silent prayer. And I always thought, oh, I have to be really, really quiet right now. But if you look at the model of Hannah, she's not quite silent. She's just whispering. She's just whispering the words that she most needs to say. And she is thought of as the one who helps us understand when we most need something. In her case, she wants to get pregnant. But when we most need something, sometimes it's not silence, but a low, low hum of honesty. So we listen to the beginning. We listen to the beginning of the Haftorah. The blessing is again on page 200. I think I gave you the wrong, hold on, let's go back, 247. 
join me in the English. Blessed are you, our God eternal, supreme power of the universe, who called forth noble prophets to speak the truth. Blessed are you, God of eternity, who delights in the Torah, in Moses, God's servant, in Israel, God's people, and in prophets of truth and right. And on the day when Elkanah would make offerings, he would give portions to his wife Penina and to each of her sons and daughters. And to Hannah, he would give a special portion because he loved Hannah and the Eternal had closed her womb. And her rival wife would taunt her cruelly to make her tremble with grief for the Eternal had closed her womb. And so it was year after year when she would go up to the house of the Eternal, she taunted her, and she would cry and not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you cry, and why do you not eat, and why are you disheartened? Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? And Hannah arose after the eating and drinking at Shiloh, while Eli the priest sat upon the throne, near the doorpost of the temple of the Eternal. And she, bitter to the core, prayed to the Eternal, weeping and crying. And she vowed and said, Eternal of heaven's hosts, if you will truly see your servant's affliction and remember me and not forget your servant and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Eternal all the days of his life and no razor shall be lifted to his head. And as her praying before the Eternal intensified, Eli watched her mouth. Baruch HaTadonai, Eloheinu Menach HaLam, Tzur Kol Amim, Tzadik B'chol HaDorot, Ta'el HaNeman, HaOmer V'Oseh, HaMdaberun Kayem, SheKol Levarav, Emet V'Tzedek. Neman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu, V'Nemanim Devarecha, V'Davar Echad Midvarecha, Achor Lo Yashuv Yerekam, Ki El Melech Neeman V'Rachaman Ata, Baruch Ata Adonai, Ha'el haneman bechol devarim Rachem al Zion ki beit chayevu Ve'la'aluvat nefesh toshia bimehera Ve'yamenu baruchata Adonai Mesameach Zion bevaneha First, a story, the story of a Facebook post. You may recall that I come to you from Minnesota, a place the local Jews call the land of the frozen chosen. <laughs> well, I love California and have no desire to spend another winter on the northern prairies, I still treasure the Jewish community that I grew up in. And it was with great pain that I read recent news of the synagogue fire in Duluth, Minnesota, that beautiful city on Lake Superior. Back home, friends expressed fear and anger. How could they not? 
the massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville are still fresh in our minds. Many waited with suspense for the Duluth police chief's press briefing. When he announced that investigators considered the fire to be arson, but not a hate crime, many were astonished. How was this not a hate crime? And then further details came out, and I wrote the following on my Facebook page. As investigators continue to do their work, it seems that it is possible that one outcome may be that the person who started the fire was a homeless man trying to get warm. Apparently the fire was started right outside the sukkah, a ritual structure associated with hospitality, peace, vulnerability, and gratitude. I don't need to explain the irony. If this is the case, it will still be a hate crime. No, not of the man who started the fire, rather the crime of hating the poor and ill. The crime of responding to those most desperate among us with public policy not rooted in love and compassion and above all justice. That Facebook post was liked more than 420 times and shared nearly 120 times, mostly by people I had never met, many of them apparently Jews. One commentator wrote, wow, okay, I stand corrected and humbled. And another, heartbreaking in a totally different way than I expected. But what exactly was expected? And where does that come from? One question about Jewish history that continues to emerge in American public discourse is, is it ever appropriate to draw analogies between contemporary political events and Nazi Germany? In our attempt to make sense of urgent matters, such as the detention centers at the border, or the anti-Semitic and racist rally in Charlottesville, or white nationalist attacks on Jewish, Muslim, Christian, and Sikh places of worship, we hear voices that draw comparisons between our communal memories of the Holocaust and contemporary political life, and at the same instant voices that decry such comparisons as vulgar or misleading or just inaccurate. In his 2002 novel, Everything is Illuminated, Jonathan Safran Foer asks, what does it remember like? Foer suggests that part of being Jewish is having a sixth sense. He explains, the Jew is pricked by a pin and remembers other pins. It is only by tracing the pinprick back to other pinpricks when his mother tried to fix his sleeve while his arm was still in it, when his grandfather's fingers fell asleep from stroking his great-grandfather's damp forehead, when Abraham tested the knife point to be sure Isaac would feel no pain, that the Jew is able to know why it hurts. I think that when something happens like a synagogue fire, many of us ask ourselves and each other, what does it remember like? The question of memory, how we understand the past, and what that understanding means for us today is fundamental to Jewish identity and religiosity. To be Jewish is to live in intimate relationship with the past, 
not because we romanticize that past, but because we understand deep in our bones that our memory of the past has everything to do with our construction of the future. And yet, intimacy with our past also forges a relationship to memory in which our history is something we often feel protective of. To suggest that something is like the Holocaust can be an affront to our sensibilities. The atrocities committed against Jews and many others who were targeted by the Nazis seem unique in so many ways. Holocaust historian Deborah Lipstadt, one of the most respected voices in the world on the topic, wrote an essay in The Atlantic in June of 2018, which you may recall was in the wake of national attention being focused on the administration's family separation policy. Her essay is titled, It's Not the Holocaust. In that article, she writes, the Trump administration's policy of separating children from their parents brought a flood of comparisons to the Holocaust. Former CIA director Michael Hayden posted a picture of the entrance to Birkenau death camp with the message, other governments have separated mothers and children. Lipstadt continues, I understand Hayden's outrage, I share it, but something can be horrific without being a genocide or a Holocaust. Defenders of the Trump policy self-righteously pounced on the comparison, denouncing it as hyperbolic. Although there is nothing that can, good that can be said about the family separation policy, it is not a genocide. Equating the two is not only historically wrong, it is also strategically wrong. Glib comparisons to the Nazis provide the administration and its supporters with a, a chance to defend their position, something they do not deserve. Lipstadt then continues the essay by arguing that Holocaust comparisons have become prolific in American culture and are often what she calls patently absurd. Continuing with examples, she reminds us that Pat Robertson once claimed, just what Nazi Germany did to the Jews, so liberal America is now doing to evangelical Christians. It's no different homosexuals who want to destroy all Christians. Lipstadt notes that as he denounced liberal America, images of Nazi whores appeared on the screen. She also cites the example of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals exhibition entitled Holocaust on Your Plate, pictures of emaciated farm animals hung next to images of concentration camp victims. I think for most of us, and certainly for me, we can see that such comparisons have the potential to be not only absurd, as Lipstadt writes, but also deeply offensive. Many in our congregation had relatives who perished in the Holocaust, and we are blessed to have survivors among us who can share their stories. What they went through should never be diminished in such ways. The Holocaust stands out as a stunning example of the human capacity for evil, and cavalier analogies are never acceptable. At the same time, if we are serious about the maxim, never again, then we must be able to compare this horrific chapter from our past with our contemporary world as we attempt to discern the meaning of political life around us. In other words, if one of my ethical commitments as a Jew is that I will do what I can to prevent anyone else 
from experiencing the horrors that Nazi victims experienced during World War II, then I must be able to use analogy and comparison so that I know when to act on my ethical commitment. If, before I know any details, the news of a burning synagogue causes me to think of Reichspogromnacht, the night of the broken glass, and all of the ethical and moral questions that emerge from that event, am I misusing history? This past June, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez referred to the detention centers at the U.S.-Mexico border as concentration camps. In response, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum issued a statement that opens with the following. The U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum unequivocally rejects efforts to create analogies between the Holocaust and other events, whether historical or contemporary, that position has repeatedly and unambiguously been made clear in the museum's official statement on the matter, a statement that is reiterated and reaffirmed now. Respected Holocaust historian Dr. Timothy Snyder, a professor of history at Yale, sits on the museum's Committee on Conscience. He published a widely shared article rebuking the museum's statement, calling it a moral threat. He writes, a federally funded museum is telling Americans not to think. In doing so, it has made nonsense of the slogan, never again, and provided moral cover for ongoing and oppressive American policies. He continues, analogizing is not some mysterious operation. It is how we think. Every time someone asks you for advice about a situation beyond your personal experience, your mind makes analogies with what you do know. Then you ask questions that allow you to clarify similarities and differences. At some point, you have understood and can act. Never again is nothing other than an invocation of that process. And he concludes the essay with the following. Our preference is to see ourselves as victims. And thus, if anyone seems to be referring to the Holocaust and to us, we reflexively defend our innocence. That is what is happening now. One of our official institutions of memory is defending our innocence, treating us as the offended victims. But the moral lesson of the Holocaust is not that you risk being a victim. The moral lesson of the Holocaust is the danger that you will ignore the victims or torment them or worse. When historical comparison is suppressed, we no longer have political thought, we have political taboo. We no longer have civil society, we have authoritarian conformity. If we are to take both Lipstadt and Snyder seriously as intellectuals who speak from a place of authority, then we find ourselves faced with a situation in which Holocaust analogies are deeply fraught and problematic and yet, at times, a moral imperative. What does this mean for us? Let us return for a moment to the question posed by Jonathan Safran Foer. What does it remember like? We are without a doubt memory people. On Passover, through a family ritual that is among the most widely observed Jewish customs, we remember the story of our ancestors' enslavement. We taste the bitterness of suffering and the salt of tears. We taste the hope of spring 
and renewal with parsley and eggs. And all of this serves as a mitzvah, a spiritual obligation that we must draw analogies between our past and the world around us so that whenever we see something that is like Egypt, that remembers like Egypt, we act. In this way, memory and ethics are profoundly linked in our tradition. Indeed, is the principle never again, not precisely the turning of a collective memory into an ethical demand. Each winter, I travel to Los Angeles with our eighth grade students. And as an aside, you should know that my husband, Frand, comes along every year. And for that, the congregation owes him eternal gratitude. <laughs> Among several other meaningful experiences, including the Emmanuel Rite of Passage that is a night at Disneyland, we take our students to the Museum of Tolerance, which includes a Holocaust education exhibit. Near the end of the exhibit, the students are led into a space that is reminiscent of a gas chamber in which they watch a short film that teaches some of the most horrific memories of the Holocaust. I am always in the back of the group as we enter with the docent in the front, and I hate this moment. Watching our teens walk into that room is painful and chilling, even though I know it is a safe educational experience. Sometimes I question if we should be bringing our young teenagers that we are hoping will develop a positive and joyful relationship with Judaism into such a harsh and potentially traumatizing educational milieu. And then I think about what we are doing. We are not only transmitting memory, but also we are transmitting an ethical framework in which they will be able to make comparisons and analogies between our Jewish past and the world they are inheriting. After you exit the exhibit, you go directly into a contemporary exhibit that explores current issues of prejudice and intolerance. The message is clear. Remember the Holocaust so that these things don't happen again, so that you can see signs of it in our current society. In the end, we may not settle the debate about whether or not the detention centers at the border are concentration camps, or whether or not certain policies or political strategies of the current administration are similar to the Third Reich. But we don't need to settle that debate for us to live up to our ethical commitments. Sometimes comparisons with the Holocaust are offensive and deeply inaccurate. Sometimes such comparisons do nothing to help bring about more justice in our world and gravely dishonor the millions of victims of Nazi violence. And yet, remembering our past for the explicit purpose of creating an ethical framework for the present and future is a central and powerful religious obligation in Judaism. What I am asking for is public discourse in which our past can be thoughtfully examined for the wisdom it might bring to bear on the present, for us to be able to ask the questions all the questions, without the topic of the Holocaust becoming off-limits. Because if it is always off-limits, we can never apply the important lessons that emerge from this horrific chapter. We are living in very difficult times. 
we are watching the rise of ethnocentric nationalism around the globe and suffering the devastating and often violent impact of the associated ideologies. When a synagogue in northern Minnesota bursts into bright flames against the backdrop of a beautiful lake so big you can't see across it, this touches something in the Jewish psyche. But it's not only a burning synagogue as horrific as that is. In those flames, some see pharaohs and Hamans, pogroms and trains. And so when we see a child in a cage or a white shooter at an African-American church in South Carolina or at a mosque in New Zealand, we ask ourselves, what does this remember like? When we see our national politics descending into chaos and division, with demagoguery taking the place of thoughtful civil discourse, we ask ourselves, what does this remember like? And whether or not a particular moment for a particular Jew has resonance with the Holocaust is really not the point. Our obligation as Jews is to allow the history of our people to help us understand what is right and wrong so that we can attend to the moral demands of our day. Memory is a commandment. I'll end with this. There is something else that Jewish memory can offer us that is just as important as ethics. Hope. Jewish memory animates the possibility of great change. If you, like me, look around our world right now and sometimes feel you can't see how we will get to a better day, then I want you to take a look back so that you can once again look ahead. When Moses demanded that Pharaoh free our people, he did so in a context that might have appeared hopeless, and yet he lived out a story that has become a central freedom narrative around the world. When Queen Esther found within herself the courage to speak up and demand justice, the future looked bleak, and yet she changed the fate of our people. When we light the Havdalah candle, we sing a verse that remembers Esther's courage and victory, La Yehudim Haita Ora. For those Jews, our ancestors, there was light. And then we add the words, Kain Tehiye Lanu. So may it be for us. I ask you to remember not only the pain of our memories and the foundation of ethics and moral courage they provide for us, but also aura, the light. Hope is also central to ethics. Smell the bisamim, the spices of possibility. Drink the sweet wine that promises a return to joy. Sing for Elijah, symbol of a new day. La Yehudim Haita Ora, our people know that redemption is always possible. Kain Tehiyeh Lanu, so may it be for us. Shana Tova Umituka, to a year of goodness and sweetness. We turn to page 202 and we rise for the Elena.
at a debate about how to blow the shofar, three different approaches. The Jewish way to solve the problem is to blow it all three times, all three ways. The blessing is on page 206. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam, Varim Trua Tikia Tikia Shvarim Tikia Tikia Would you please rise again? 
<laughs> We're giving you a little rest there. <laughs> We're on the next shofar call on page 268. And again, we hear this sound of the ancients, the sound of the call to tshuvah, the sound of hope, a sound that people have heard for thousands of years. just beginning that process of tshuva, of change. Remember, it was a ram that got caught in the branches that Avram then sacrificed. It's the ram's horn that calls us, that asks us to draw near to our best self. Let's say the prayer together. Baruch atah Adonai, shomea kol tru'ah, amo Yisrael, barach Blessed are you in our lives, Adonai. You hear with love the shofar, true voice, of Am Yisrael. Tekia. Shvarim Tarua. Tekia. Shvarim. Tekia. Takia Tarua Takia Gidolaha Tashikoa. Call 
We're on page 292 for the Kadisha tome for the mourners Kaddish. If you are saying Kaddish this morning, please share the names of those that you were remembering as I look throughout the sanctuary. As one community, we recite Yit Gadal ve Yit Rabba be Alma Divra Hirote ve Amlich Malchute be Chayechon uv Yomechon uv Beit Yisrael be Agala uvizman Kariv imru Amen Yehe Shemei Rabba mevorach lealam ulalme almaya Yit Barach ve Yishtabach ve Yit Paar ve Yit Romam ve Vit Hadar, Vit Ale, Vit Halal, Shemed Kudisha, Brihu, Leela Minko, Birchata, Vishirata, Tushbechata, Venechemata, Damiran, Belma, Vimru, Amen, Yehe, Shlama, Rabba, Min Shemaya, Vahayim, Alenu, Val, Kol Yisrael, Vimru, Amen, O Se Shalom, Bimromav, Uya, Ase Shalom, Alenu, Val, Kol Yisrael, Please be seated. Go into our conclusion, announcements, and a prayer for the state of Israel. Jordan Heimowitz. Thank you. Fellow congregants, as we know, next November there will be an election. But first, this winter, there will be elections for the World Zionist Congress. All of you over 18 are eligible to vote, and I would encourage you to do so. As a lay leader and chairman of the Emanuel Israel Action Committee, I am increasingly concerned about the messianic nature of Israel's society and the ironclad grip the orthodoxy has on egalitarian prayer, marriage, and other civil issues. Your vote for Artsa and any number of the non-orthodox parties gives support to reform and conservative Judaism and hopes that Israel will be a home for all kinds of Jews. Over the next few months, you'll be hearing more about the World Zionist Congress. Elections begin in January. I personally will be voting for the Artsa slate, which includes our own rabbis Jonathan and Beth Singer. I actually tried to get some pins or yarmulkes with a name on it, but there just wasn't time. But stay tuned. <laughs> Whether or not you vote for the singers or any other party, please make sure to vote. Your vote matters. And now a prayer for Eretz Israel. May God give her the strength and wisdom in the year 5780. Page 274, please read along with me. Avinu, you are high above all nations, states, and peoples. Rock of Israel, the one who has saved us, and preserved us in life. Bless the state of Israel, first flowering of our redemption. Be her loving child, 
a shelter of lasting peace. Guide her leaders and advisors with the light of your truth. Instruct them with your good counsel. Strengthen the hands of those who build and protect our holy land. Deliver them from danger. Crown their efforts with success. Grant peace to the land, lasting joy in of all. And together we say, Amen. Shana Tova. My name is Ariana Estoke. I'm the Director of Membership Experience. Uh, I have a few announcements for you. We are asking that every family bring one bag of donation food, not just one can, but one bag for the JFCS, yes, uh, and um, SF Marin Food Bank bins. You're helping out not just our Jewish community, but all those who are hungry. We invite you to stay for our teen-led community service today at 3.30 right here in the main sanctuary. It is a highlight of the day. And we also join you to ask you to join us for Tashlik today at Baker Beach at 5 o'clock. Please bring layers. Tomorrow, we have a 9.30 service for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. It is open to the community. And we hope to have you stay the day for Yom Kippur in just 10 days. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Page 294. Say amen when I go. Strengthen us on this day. Amen. Bless us today. Amen. Lift up our lives this day. Amen. Grant us goodness today. Amen. Inscribe us for a good life this day. Amen. Hear our heartfelt words this day. Amen. On this day, receive our prayers with love. Amen. Together, fortify our best intentions. May we go forth today to do your righteous work. Amen. Hayom, 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 Amen. Shana Tova, everyone. See you later. Shana Tova.